Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. You know, Easter is that day, like I said, it's like we all putting on our Sunday best and we celebrate what took place 2,000 years ago. That tomb is empty, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus did what he said he would do. He fulfilled prophecy, right? He fulfilled the book of Isaiah and all the different things that were said about him. But almost as, as much as like any celebration or any big milestone it's like when it comes to an end, there's always this emotional feeling like what happens next? You know, it, it could be if you're in the education world and, and you, you, know, you graduated with that diploma and then you get that master's or whatever it is, it's like what happens next? Or you achieve that, that promotion or that dream job, what happens next? How do you follow that up? It could be, you know, how many of us, anybody love that show Yellowstone in the house? Anybody been watching that one? Some of us? Okay, there we go, right? It's like season four of Yellowstone comes to an end, an abrupt end, and then it's like, oh, what next, right? It could be something as, as, as fun as, you know, the, the, the latest Marvel Infinity Gauntlet series comes next, and I kind of felt, it's like, how are you ever going to top that? How are you going to, you know, and I feel like that with Easter, it's like, okay, what next you could be here and it's it's like you you've had that you've worked your whole life to acquire enough to be able to get to that season of life called retirement and you throw the party and you do all the right things and then no doubt inevitably it all happens what you worked for it and then you ponder that question what what now what next and there's so many different milestones I think as humans we can relate to. There's, there's families and there's people of all ages. You could be graduating from elementary school into junior high or junior high into high school or graduating high school or getting ready on the, on the brink of that college graduation. You know, even we ask that question, what is next? Even when it um, applies to loss, don't we? Has anybody here ever been through trauma? Oh, as I scratch the microphone. Has anybody here ever been through loss and been through trauma? It could be the loss of a relationship, the loss of a family member, the loss of a, a child or a spouse, something happens that just completely alters your life, and we ask that question, like, what happens next? So whether it's something as exciting as getting your driver's license for the first time, or buying or paying off that, that car for the first time, or getting married, all those things, we have those moments after a memorable experience where we ask, what's next? And no doubt in my mind, Easter, uh, that, that happens with Easter as well. Would anybody, would anybody agree with that? It's like we go through the resurrection. You've probably spent many, many years of your life hearing Easter stories, um, hearing Easter sermons. And then today I want to jump into this idea and maybe hopefully answer a little bit of that question what do we do now? What are Jesus followers supposed to do and uh, participate in after Easter celebrations are over, right? And there's some particular actions of Jesus that I think sometimes it's like we, we, we spend all these, these hours and hours talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection that oftentimes once John chapter like 21 ends, we, we don't always remember to flip the page and turn over to Acts chapter 1 and read about and talk about as often what Jesus did in those 40 days following the resurrection. That's what I want to look at today, that Jesus spent 40 days on earth after the resurrection. And during this time, I want to look at some things that Jesus did. Because how many of you know, if, if we proclaim the name of Jesus, if we proclaim that we are as his followers, sometimes I think as church people, we just sometimes, we make it a little more difficult than it should be. I think sometimes following Jesus, all we need to do is look at what Jesus did and look at what Jesus said right? We can do that by getting into his word, getting into what did, what did Jesus say in scripture? What did Jesus do? And if we follow him, we simply begin to live our lives attempting to model him, correct? Somebody say amen, right? All right, well, if you have a Bible, I want to look. I've got, I, I, I no joke today. I'm a two-point, three-point sermon guy, or even a no-point, right? You don't have to say amen to that, but 
I got 10 of them for you today. Turn to someone and say 10. We got 10. We got 10 points today. We're going to move through these quickly, but I want to look at five things that Jesus did after Easter, and then I want to take some time and look at five things that the disciples did after Easter, and I think hopefully by looking at the life of Jesus and then looking at his disciples, we, we can kind of come to a, 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 a realization that, you know what, we don't need to overthink it, but there's some things that are very simple and practical that we need to be about, that we need to pursue, that we need to embrace as Christ followers. So if you have your notes this morning, you have a smartphone or do you have a pen and paper, would you break them out? And we have our, this is our final series of this Easter Ensemble message series. Have you enjoyed it? I hope as we've led up to Easter. This is actually, believe it or not, week seven of Easter Ensemble, talking about Easter. Can you believe we're already in week seven of this? No? You guys are like, I can't. I have no idea. Yes, it feels like forever. Right? Just nod and smile, church. It's the 11 a.m. It goes quicker if you just, you know, just agree. That's it, right? Just participation awards, right? And we give those out today. But this is week seven of this series called the Easter Ensemble. And if you've been with us, we've been talking about particular characters that have a role to play in the story of Jesus. Well, you know, we still have a role to play 2,000 years later in this story. We still are a part of this ensemble cast that points people to him. The first thing Jesus did, we're going we're gonna to check out five different ones. What did Jesus do after Easter? Well, here's the first one. Are you ready for it? This is simple, but often hard to do. Jesus showed up. There we go, right? Sometimes it is. It's like, I, I, I think even culturally, we will cancel church for anything, but we won't cancel anything for church. Do we notice that? We'll make time for celebrations or a Friday night thing or a surprise thing or a Saturday thing or a Sunday afternoon thing. We, we have no problem canceling church for other things, but we rarely cancel other things for that 9 o'clock hour or that 11 o'clock hour, right? I think it's interesting and not even really relating to church, but Jesus showed up and he showed up for people. He showed up for his disciples. He spent 40 days on earth after the resurrection. And in that time, not only did he comfort them, but I think it's pretty cool. He actually led them and he gave them direction and he gave them assignments and he gave them a mission. Would you open your Bible to John chapter 20? Book of John chapter 20, kind of getting at the end of the gospels here and verse 14. And if you remember who this lady is, this this kind of rolls us all the way back to seven weeks ago with week one. This was the woman we spoke about, the first character of this Easter ensemble. The first person that Jesus really, he, he, he entrusted her to be the first to say, he is not here, he has risen. How cool is that, that in that culture, in that time period, right? We talk about people who are marginalized or overlooked. Our Savior made it a point to tell Mary Magdalene, right, that she needs to share this news with the disciples and a woman in that culture becomes nowadays we it might not we might not think anything of it right but in that culture she becomes the first person to declare he is risen pretty cool stuff john chapter 20 verse 14 she being who's she right i just kind of gave away the answer to the test she being who mary magdalene yes she turned to leave and she saw someone standing there it was jesus but she didn't recognize him dear woman why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have him taken away, tell me where you have put him. I will go and get him. I love this about Mary Magdalene. She's like, I don't need anybody's help. I will go get him myself. Verse 16, Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and she cried out, Rabbi, which means teacher. I love this. Uh, and as we kind of move quickly today through these points this is what i love about jesus he could have he could have done you know he, he could have almost mimicked how he arrived and he could have had the angels sing out his praises and he could have had them come and declare all of these different things but he could have had the angels shout out his love from heaven and just remain there and just stay there right but he showed his love on earth 
He didn't just shout out love from heaven, but he arrived, he remained, he stayed for 40 days, and he showed his love on earth, which is pretty cool stuff. And you know what I love about Easter is he, today he still does the very same thing. He still reveals himself, and often when he reveals himself, we're in that Mary Magdalene type moment, we're broken over something. And sometimes I just think, you know, she didn't recognize him. She was probably just crying. Has he ever been so broken? Just weeping. She probably had just, just her, her vision was probably blurred. So many different things, right? I love that Jesus still shows up when we are broken. He still shows up when our hearts are hurting. He still shows up when we've been rejected, right? And oftentimes that's when he shows up the most. So the first thing Jesus did after he rose from the grave, I love it, I love it. Simply he showed up. Sometimes, would you agree that's just important for us to do? We just need to show up. We don't necessarily even have to have the right words or the right message or the right teaching. We just, we just need to show up for people. We need to show up for those that we care about. Number two, Jesus modeled community. Would you write that down? Jesus modeled community. Whether it was, he, he, anybody love the cracked egg here in Las Vegas? Or like somebody shout me down. Like we just got to wake up a little bit, right? Uh, what's your favorite breakfast joint in town? Honey salt, baby stacks, jams, free promotion for all these places. I threw out cracked egg. What's that? Mr. Mama's. That's right. There's pancake plate, all kinds of. How did breakfast get so expensive, by the way? Anybody, right? We need Jesus over this expensive breakfast in these cities, right? My goodness, my goodness. But Jesus made, he, made, he brought cracked egg to the beach for his disciples, he made breakfast on the beach for his disciples. He modeled how important community is. After the resurrection, we see Jesus make time for these relationships. And sometimes, I don't know if, if, if you feel challenged in this way. If we aren't intentional in our relationships, they won't happen. If they aren't intentional, because I can think of a hundred different things to do instead of being intentional about relationships, right? It's really easy for me to, to sit in my, in my box of relationships and with my family and with my kids and be like, you know what, I'm gonna stay home, I'm gonna stay in my bubble, and I'm not gonna take, make the effort to reach out to people, but Jesus made the effort. You know what's interesting? Even people that wronged, Jesus went to the people that wronged him. He modeled community, and he went directly to him. And, there, and, and as we see in, in the book of John, right, when he, whether it's making this breakfast on the beach, whether it's the road to Emmaus where he encounters the two disciples, he took time to stop and show that he actually cared for people. And as followers of Christ, one thing we can do after Easter is remind ourselves how we are actually called to community. Right? You know that we're actually called to intentionally serve people in our, not only our home, like of course, like husbands, wives, we're called to serve each other. One thing I love when my, I used to watch my dad do weddings as a kid, he always used to say, when you commit to each other and when you give to each other, you don't give half of yourself or 50% expecting the partner to give that back reciprocally, right, in return, but instead you give 100% of yourself to your spouse. You give 100%, 100%. And the way that would work is, is, man, those relationships, you don't expect, you give without expecting anything in return, right? And you see a marriage, like when they are healthy, it's a marriage that's built on the principle of giving. But really, church, we're called to, to be Christ followers that do relationships built on the principle of giving. Not the, the principle of taking and getting, right? We're built, we're, we're, we're made to give intentionally, to serve intentionally, not only in our families, in our marriages, but man, in our workplace, right? Like where you work, that is the greatest pulpit you might, you probably will ever have. The greatest impact, the people that see your attitude when you're, when you're happy, when you're disappointed, when you got the raise, when you didn't get the raise, whatever it is, right? That is your, your greatest mission field is where you work. We're called to serve in our workplace, in our cities. Number three, Jesus did this as well. When he came back, when he rose, he comforted broken people. Jesus comforted broken people. I find it interesting, really interesting, and it just proves to me that Jesus was exactly who he said he was because I, I find it so challenging to not be frustrated when I feel let down by someone. You know what's interesting about Jesus? Would you, would you write this down? Jesus didn't seem frustrated with his disciples, did he? You notice that in scripture? 
when he, when he, comes, when he comes back, when he is resurrected, through his actions, through his words, through the deliberate steps he makes to reconnect with guys like Thomas, to, to connect with the guys on the road to Emmaus, to connect with Mary and the ladies, to connect with Peter. He intentionally pursues them, and he doesn't seem frustrated with the very people who failed him in, can we say it like this? They failed him in spectacular fashion. They failed him completely. They, like, the moment I needed you most, bro, you were nowhere to be found. And it's interesting, when Jesus come back, comes back, what does he do? He meets them exactly where they are at. John chapter 20, would you read it with me? John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Remember this verse? We've covered this a little bit because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were afraid. Could we say it like this? They, they didn't want to be crucified like Jesus was. I mean, they were afraid. They didn't, what they saw Jesus walk through, they didn't, they, they didn't want that to happen to them. It says they were hiding behind locked doors because they were afraid. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy because they saw the Lord. And again, he said, look at what he said to them. Where were you at Friday? <laughs> no, he, did he say that, right? Where were you Friday afternoon? You guys were like, I thought you were sticking to scripture. I'm kind of just, right? <laughs> Got to make sure you're awake at 11.55, right? Notice he shows up and he, it's like he goes through the door. The doors were locked. He arrives and notice what he says. He doesn't say, where, dude, where were you that night? Like, Peter, you were so willing to cut off somebody's ear. Why didn't you keep going, pal? Right? We could have been through it together, right? No, he says, look what he says to his disciples who failed him and were scared and were hiding and were broken and were mourning. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He, he gives them an assignment right away. He begins to say, I have a plan for you. I have an assignment for you. I have a mission for you. I have a commission for you. And so I am sending you, verse 22, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. No doubt the disciples were stuck in this uncertain future, this fearful moment, but Jesus comes and he meets them right in the middle of their doubt, in their fear, in their brokenness, in their defeat. They've been completely defeated. And so whether it was Mary weeping at the tomb whether it's the disciples hiding out in the locked room, whether it's Thomas being able to express his frustration and walking through his trauma in his own way, separating himself from the disciples, expressing his doubts. It seems like Jesus, when he comes back, it seems to me like he gravitates towards the wounded. It seems like he gravitates towards the questions it seems like he presses in when people are confused and he draws nearest when hearts are broken. Number four, what else did Jesus do when he came back? Number four, he redeemed mistakes. Oh my goodness. This is so countercultural to what we want to do, isn't it? Right? He redeemed mistakes. The Bible says, that even though we know Peter messed up, we know Thomas messed up, we know the disciples blew it, right? But we spent two weeks talking about, did you enjoy, enjoy when we, we spent, I, I enjoyed ta talking about Peter, diving into him, taking our time on his character, talking about how Jesus restored him. Isn't it interesting, and this is like such a hot button word culturally, and, and it's like it, it might bring out like it, thoughts that we have aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't cancel Peter? Right? We have that, that word, like we say, like cancel, cancel culture. And people, you know, it's like we all, we do different things. But you know, from a biblical sense, aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't write off Peter? Uh, like that he didn't just say, you know what, I'm done with you. <laughs> you, you blew it, right? You're, you're fired, whatever it is, right? Before the crucifixion, we know what Peter did. In public, and, and we spent time on this, by the fireside, Peter denied Jesus three times, and when Jesus comes back, he 
by the fireside restores him three times. And in that same way, so I want to think about this, and it's not a sense to go back to our past or to replace something in, in, in ways that we have messed up spectacularly, right? Where we've blown it completely. But aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't cancel you? Right? Aren't we thankful that like in those moments where we just almost blow our lives up completely, whatever it is, aren't we thankful that Jesus doesn't just say, Joey, I'm done with you, right? Insert your name into that, right? Aren't you thankful that he treats us the same way he treated Peter? He doesn't just say, I'm done. You blew it, your career's over, your life is over, right? Your relationships are over. Whatever it is, we serve a king who can actually use weakness. Isn't that just crazy? We serve a king that actually uses weakness and he doesn't just say I'm done I'm done even though oftentimes that's the route we would prefer take but it's not the route we see Jesus take right we serve a king that uses weak people uses our sin uses our mistakes uses those things number five what else did Jesus do Jesus empowered people and he taught people he instructed people Jesus instructed people and he empowered people, right? Right before he ascended into heaven, the Bible says that he gave them a mission. Uh, it's what we refer to and we call the Great Commission. You know, these, these five things that Jesus did, are we capable of doing these today, right? We talk about like, okay, Easter was amazing and, um, you know, the, the, the chocolate croissants weren't quite as amazing as Jesus, but they were pretty good too, Right? Everybody was having fun. The place is full. The, I mean, goodness, it was the first time in three years, really, we got to do an Easter egg hunt, all those little things. But what next? And here's what's next is we can practice the things that Jesus did. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11, right? We're aware, right? It's 11 disciples now because we're down one. They left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And would you hold on to verse 17 in your notes? Would you mark it in your Bible? Would you underline it? Because I find this interesting, and we're going to circle back to this, actually. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but, here we go, some of them doubted. Isn't that interesting? I would just think, like, you saw him already. You saw the wounds. Who, I, you know, some of them still doubted. I love how honest the Bible is, right? I love how, like, it's, it's real, it's real. Scripture, it comes alive. Verse 18, Jesus came then and he told his disciples, I've been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Can you underline that, circle that in your, in your text? He didn't say make disciples of some nations. He didn't say make disciples of, of people that think like you, act like you, talk like you, look at you. He says, make disciples, what does he say? All, all nations, and he says this, this is what I want you to do, like let's not make it too hard, folks, let's not make it too hard, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Go, make disciples in every nation. You know, Easter Sunday might be over, but it matters all year long. Would you agree with that? It matters all, all of our life. It's a lifelong, it matters forever because Jesus, we have this access, we have this assurance, we have this grace, we have this forgiveness like we never had before. And with that promise, we're called to lay, live out this Matthew 28, 19 lifestyle. It doesn't say sit and make disciples, does it? It doesn't say be comfortable and make disciples. It says go, <laughs> now go and make disciples. Go into all the earth, into every nation baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? I think the way I would interpret this is if you're working year-round on the strip, at the hotel, whatever, if you're in real estate, it doesn't matter your profession, look for ways to intentionally bring Jesus to people. Look for ways to intentionally be Jesus to people. 
Too often we just go to work and it's like we fall into this thing. We forget that like the greatest story you can tell is in the workplace. The greatest sermon you can preach is in the workplace. The greatest pulpit you have is in the workplace. The greatest place you have to share the love of Christ is where you are at, where you work. And it's our job to make him attractive, right? Jesus should be, there should be something about Christ's followers that isn't a turnoff. There should be something that is attractive, and it's our job to make his name known. Well, that's what Jesus did, and he, would you agree Jesus sets the bar pretty high? Oh my goodness, right? He sets the bar pretty high. Well, I love that the Bible is um, truthful. It's blunt. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It doesn't try to hide things, because now we're going to look at some things that the disciples did, and there are things that I can relate to, but I think there are things that are very important as well. And, and I think there are things that sometimes that religious side of us boils up and we get uncomfortable with some of these things, where in the reality, I think Scripture is so cool, we need to just embrace them. The first thing we need to embrace is people who are skeptical, people who have moments of fear and doubts and questions Number one, the disciples, what did they do after Easter? Well, there's one thing we know they did. They were skeptics. Would you write that down? Number one, the disciples were skeptical. We see it, we've covered it in this Easter Ensemble series, Luke 24, verse 8. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what has happened, what had happened. And this was Mary Magdalene. This was the girl power squad. Remember this in week one? These are the ladies, Joanna, this is the mother of Mary, the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. They, they went and they told the apostles what had happened and look at the response the apostles give. The story sounded like nonsense is what my translation says. The New Living Translation, NLT, the story sounded like nonsense to the men so they didn't believe. Do we see that? Like after the resurrection, we need to be real with what was going on. The disciples were understandably skeptical, right? And I love how clear the gospel records are because they don't just say like everybody bought this hook, line, and sinker. They acknowledge that there are some skeptics, there are some questions, there was some doubt. Many of Jesus' closest followers were openly and understandably, they were skeptical, skeptical about these reports of resurrection. You know what's interesting, and, and they're the very people that probably saw Jesus say, Lazarus, come out. Like the very people, right? They, they saw Jesus say that. But maybe the process, the beatings that he took, the, the, the punishment that he went through, the brutality of the cross, maybe it was, it was just unthinkable. John's gospel account, right? He names, he names Thomas firsthand as the guy that's like, I'm not going to sip on this Kool-Aid that you guys are all taking, right? Let's look at what John says. He says, Thomas is like, I'm not buying into this. This, is, I mean, this isn't, uh, chapter 20, verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, we know who he is, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. They being the disciples, right? This isn't like some stranger off the streets telling, hey, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. This isn't some random salesperson in the marketplace trying to sell. These, these are the guys that Thomas has spent the last three years with. Think about that for a minute. These are the same guys that saw Jesus feed the multitudes. The same guys that saw Jesus turn water into wine. The same guys that when they, that, 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 those radical guys lowered their friend through the roof, Jesus said, get up, take your mat, and walk out of here. Right? They have seen Jesus do stuff. And Thomas is like, <laughs> I don't buy it. No way. They say, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. And look at his response, church. Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas insisted, I, I'm going to have to touch the truth before I will believe it. I'm going to have to see it with my own eyes before I will believe what you guys are saying to me. Even though the message was coming from his closest allies. 
The people who he had the closest relationship on. It'd be like, think of it, it'd be like you're, if you have a close family member, a brother or a sister. It's like they have no reason to lie to you and Thomas is still not going to believe it. Matthew 29, verse 16. Let's circle back to that, right? Folks, this is right before the Great Commission. Like there are these reports and Jesus appeared to many. And it still says, look, the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, it's interesting how often I think of Matthew 28, 19, and I leave out verse 17. Like just two verses, or I think of Matthew 28, 19, it's that go, go into all the world, make disciples. But look in verse 17, it's, it's real with us. The Bible's expressing real issues, real humans, real doubt. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Right up to the moment of the Great Commission, the Bible says some of them doubted. So what does this mean for us? Like what does this, this point number one of the disciples, what does this mean for us today? I think this is what I, how I would apply this today. It means we as Christians shouldn't run from skepticism. We shouldn't run from questions. We shouldn't run from people who don't think like us. Right? We shouldn't run from people who don't talk like us or act like us, right? It, it, when we realize, wait, sometimes there's a part of me, like when people express doubts, I just kind of want to like scoff, like what? Like I can, I can get a little insensitive sometimes, right? But it, it, it's like, it's the very time I believe Jesus, he, he, he teaches the disciples and he models to them when you're skeptical, that's the time to press in. That's the time to open up the dialogue, to ask questions together. We don't need to, to knock people for not agreeing or believing, but here's what the Bible says. Would you open your, 1 Peter chapter 3. Like the Bible will give us the answer for our questions, right? What, what are we to do? All right, if we're not supposed to be, you know, if we're not supposed to hammer people for asking questions, what, how, how do we relate to them? Well, here's what the Bible says. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer there we go it's assuming like there will be something peculiar enough about your life that someone will ask you why are you different it's assuming that you're living your life so much different than a secular society that this scripture tells me like that if someone asks you about your hope like you, you there's a sense of hope about you right you, you man what, what what's different about you if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, let's look at what the Bible says. Always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain the hope that you have in Jesus, the relationship that you have in him. Always be ready to explain it. And then here's another verse I think sometimes we like to leave off because we like to stick with verse 15. Here we go. Let's finish that off. Verse 16 says, but do this in a rude, snarky way. <laughs> right? Right, I'm testing you. It does wake us up, though. We're like, wait, wait, wait. Verse 16, it says this. This is a verse I, I often, like, it's like we don't always want to jump into this part of the verse. But do this, it says, in a gentle way. It says, be gentle. What's happened to that culturally? Right? What's happened to the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness self-control like oh my goodness verse 16 explain jesus explain your hope for humanity explain the hope you have for yourself explain the hope that you have for your family it says in a gentle way and a respectful way do we notice that church right a gentle and respectful way what else did the disciples do number two number two number two they broke bread and they remembered him what did the, like these are these are like 10 simple steps like what can we do after easter well here's 10 things like pick a couple and we're going to be off to a good start be great if we could do all 10 but like let's just let's do a few right the disciples broke bread in memory of jesus in luke chapter 24 was anybody here um able to be at the 7 a.m sunrise service last week would you just raise your hand with that some of us, okay, not, not as many as I thought, but that's all good. But 7 a.m., Pastor Greg did something different. And if you've ever been to our Good Friday service, he'll sit down and we do like a, he does a dramatic reading from the piano and he goes through the crucifixion. And it's one of the, I just love that service because I don't want this to sound weird, but sometimes we need to like recognize what the cross was all about. I love that service because I actually don't ever leave that service happy. 
I leave it like reflective and like thinking about the cross and thinking about how heavy it was, thinking about how brutal it was. Like he goes through, he talks about the nails being driven through and he, he talks about all of the, the lashes that Jesus took for us. And it's one of those services where you kind of just, you hold on to this nail. I would encourage you to go to it if you've never been to it. And it's one of those services you just leave and you're, let's say it like this, you're, you're just reflecting on a lot. It makes you think about a lot, right? But on Sunday, we did this, and, and actually, he did the same thing at 7 a.m., and we took communion, but because it was Resurrection Sunday, it was a little more exciting and a little happier, right? Because it's a resurrection, and he went through the stone being rolled away, and we, we, we talked about this, and he mentioned this story. There was a story when Jesus comes back, what did Jesus do? He revealed himself on the road to Emmaus to a couple of disciples. It, it, it's this village that's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And the, the Bible says that the disciples, and you could find this. We don't, we don't have time to go through all of Luke chapter 24. Um, but it's in Luke chapter 24 if you want to put that in your notes. But the disciples didn't recognize him. They spent time with him and they walked with him and they talked with him and they, they, all this, this conversation and dialogue took place. And then what's interesting to me, at the table, would you turn to someone and say, at the table? At the table, the Bible says they recognized Jesus. They broke bread, they blessed it, they took it, and Dr. Luke records that the disciples' eyes were opened. And at that moment in their grief, in their tragedy, in their, their downcast they saw and they recognized Jesus. The Bible says they reported this to everyone saying that Jesus had made himself known through what? The breaking of bread. Let's look at a little bit of this scripture, just two verses. Luke chapter 24, verse 33. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them and assembled together and saying, it is true the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. It's interesting that this very simple commandment, like if you go back and there's some heartbreaking chapters throughout church history, right? Because the church involves people. And people, sadly, we don't always hit a home run, do we, right? But all throughout church history, there's been disagreements, literally how the Last Supper is interpreted or disagreement about what communion means. But it's very clear from Scripture, Jesus' idea of communion, the earliest followers of Christ, they simply obeyed this command. They kept this command very simple. They said, they, they do this and what? Remember who? Break bread, do this, and remember me. Remember Jesus. And that's one thing, man, we can constantly make sure to do. Number three, the disciples... I like this one. They wrestled with Scripture. For time's sake, I'm just going to say it like this. Do you believe what you know about Jesus because of a feeling? Do you believe in Jesus because your parents told you to? Because your mom said this is what is right or you're, you respect your dad and your dad said what is right? But I think it's interesting that while those things are important and while emotional moments can happen and are often the Holy Spirit can guide and lead us and draw us in, it's important to do, like, recognize what the disciples did. They wrestled with Scripture. Remember, many of the early followers of Jesus were Jewish, with very few exceptions. They grew up with many traditions. They grew up with many laws. They grew up with many things that were passed down from family to family to family to generation. And so it was natural. We saw Paul and we would see Peter. They would search scriptures and they would go to the book of Isaiah and they would see what the book of Isaiah would prophesy about the Messiah. And over and over, the more they would get into it, it would confirm that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Peter and Paul did an amazing job. <laughs> Even sometimes they, they got themselves thrown out of a synagogue for talking about the Old Testament, for, for looking at Scripture, and really for them it was scrolls, right, that would confirm the story of Jesus. And what's interesting is we need to do the same. If we follow Jesus, we need to do the same. We, we need to make sure we don't, don't believe something because a pastor on a stage told you to. Don't believe something because somebody with a microphone told you, right? Don't believe it because a teacher or a parent told you to, but we should all take time to really search Scripture to make sure we believe what we believe. 
Not because someone said to. Not because our emotions were stirred and you felt something, right? We had that men's conference like three weekends ago, and it was awesome. It was, it was great. Did anybody go to that? Jared, you were there, right? And there was a few times, guys, right, if you were there, where they did this like, it was like 8,000, 9,000 men in the Thomas and Mac. Derek Carr was there. All these guys were there. And it felt like, a, like a, at moments, it felt like pregame for a football game at times because they just get all the guys shouting and excited. Dad, remember that? They were like, everybody shout. And I thought it was really cool, like the first couple times. It was like, oh, we're all like, give God a prayer. You know, everybody's going. And then after a while, it was like, after like the 10th time, I remember being like, I'm exhausted. My ears hurt. The emo, like, I, I, it's just wearing me out. Like emotionally, I'm getting drained, right? And I would say it like this, when we search scriptures, right, don't believe something just because your emotions were stirred, right? And while God does draw us to him, don't, don't believe it just because you felt something, right? I love the book of Acts. Dr. Luke records in chapter 17, verse 11. Read this verse with me. He says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica because they received the message with great eagerness, right? That's the part a lot of us do. Like last week, Sunday, 20, 30 people came to Christ. They were raising their hands. People on Easter Sunday always received the message with great eagerness, right? Which is awesome. But then it says this. Look at the rest of this. It says, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Think about that for a minute. They were double-checking the greatest missionary of all time. Right? If you know, like, if, if it's important to make sure what Paul was saying was true, how many of you know we better double-check scriptures to make sure what we are listening to is true? Right? The disciples, they made it a habit to wrestle with scripture. It's a good thing. Number four. Number four. We're, we're running out a time here. The disciples did this. They cared for the sick. We prayed for a few families today, like walking through some physical ailments before church this morning. But like before there were medical missions and before there were giant hospitals built hundreds of years ago, right? A major part of Jesus' earthly ministry was healing the sick. Like 65% of his miracles were, were, were that of healing people. We see it, right? He, and, he, and, and what's interesting, he never had like a method to it, did he? I mean, some, I mean, doctors today, like sometimes we, we read scripture and I would be like that, like we think of prescriptions in a good way. I think prescriptions are meant to help with a symptom, correct? I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't know, right? We take a prescription for a specific ailment and Jesus, like there was no specific prescription for the way he healed people. Sometimes he spoke it, sometimes he said it from afar. He told the centurion soldier like, I don't even need to be present. They're healed right now. Other times he played in the dirt and like put it on people's faces, right? Like there was no method to the way he healed, but we know he healed. 25 of the 37 miracles attributed to Jesus in the New Testament are related to healing. Mark chapter one, and, and we could go through so many scriptures talking about healing, but right away Mark identifies that the gospel, it says Jesus was a healer. One of the first things Mark's gospel says about him, Jesus healed many. Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. But what's less known and sometimes less talked about and often less lived out is that Jesus actually instructed his followers to do that. And the disciples did. That, that's like often like I, I tend to forget like, oh yeah, Jesus instructed us to do the very same thing. Luke chapter 10 verse 9, he said, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you, right? The very first miracle, we see Peter, Jesus restores him, he redeems him, he offers him grace, and look how Peter responds. He begins to live up to his namesake. He begins to perform and act like the rock that Jesus had called him to be. The very first miracle in Acts, Peter says to this lame beggar, right? There's a guy on the steps by the gate, and Peter says, Silver and gold I have not. But what does he say? Do you remember this scripture? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. You know, it's crazy how long our prayers can get, isn't it? It's, long, it's amazing how long we, like, we want to say, but Peter didn't like outthink the room. He said, oh, pal, I got no cash right? 
Oftentimes we say that to people when they're homeless, right? I got, I got, I got credit cards only, pal. Anybody ever guilty? <laughs> guilty? No, nobody else, just me. I don't carry cash, man. I'm sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> Peter, he says, I have no silver. I have no gold. I got no money. I can't offer you food. But I got a name. Right? That's what Peter says. I know somebody. And this person I know, he's a big deal. This person I know, I watched him perform miracles. And he says, I got a name. That name is Jesus. And by the power of that name, you get up on out of here and you walk. That's it. That's the prayer. I got a name. His name is Jesus. Go. And all throughout the book of Acts, it's crazy, right? The disciples, they live out this ministry of healing. It's, 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 it's amazing. Number five, our final one as we close this morning. The disciples, here we go, they were a welcoming people. The disciples just welcomed everyone. They welcomed everyone to join their fellowship, right? Sometimes people will be like, well, I don't know if Jesus would like the church today or this or that, right? No matter what we think, like Jesus intended to start something. Jesus intended to start a movement, Right? He intended to use the disciples. There's a reason he poured into those three, uh, Peter, James, and John, more than any of them. He intended for something to happen. Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus challenged, think of the very first encounter Jesus had with Peter. Whether Peter knew it or not, Jesus was challenging him from that moment to start something to share something. He he encountered Peter and he said, what? You're you're a fisherman, huh? You catch fish. That's interesting. And what did Jesus end that encounter by saying? Well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna gonna teach you to be a fisher of people. I'm gonna teach you to go after people. And within, within weeks of Easter, right, Jesus' followers, after the resurrection, what did they do? They started inviting. They started going out. They started doing, the Bible says that Peter preached to the crowd at Pentecost and 3,000 people were joined, jumped into their community, right? And in that culture, right, some of the phenomenal growth, we see the early church just grow at a phenomenal rate, an exponential rate, right? And we see this early growth and some of it can be explained by a simple attitude that was welcoming. Welcoming the marginalized, welcoming the outcasts, welcoming the people that we, don't look, uh, lo- that, that we don't look after, welcoming people that oftentimes like the religious sectors of that culture and of that society would look down on certain people. They wouldn't acknowledge certain people. They wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, do life at all, actually, with certain people groups. And the early church, you know what they did? They went after the overlooked. The Bible says they they went after the people that the religious people forgot about and this growth rate, this Jesus, Jesus movement. It, guys, the church, it started because they, they, they would see a Samaritan and say, you know, I know we've treated each other poorly. I know we've been at odds, but let me tell you about this Jesus. They would see a foreigner and they would invite him. They would see a slave and they would invite him. They would see women and they would invite them. It's like they would go after the, the marginalized of that time period. I read an article this week. It said the growth rate of the Jesus movement grew from an initial 1,000 followers of Christ in the early time, days. It said it was to 217,000 followers of Jesus at the end of the second century to almost 35 million people in 30, 350 A.D., and to roughly 2 billion people today. But I think the the heart behind this exponential growth is an eagerness to share Jesus, an eagerness to actually connect with people that culture is simply overlooking. And I want to close with this question, and and, uh, Tanner, would you jump on the keys and let's pray. I want to close with this question. Who is it in your life that you might see right now or think about that is overlooked? Like, I think sometimes we say, like, marginalized and value. Like, really, that's sometimes what it comes down to. Who is being overlooked in your workplace? Who's being overlooked in your relationships? Who's being overlooked in your family? Who's being overlooked, right, 
in society? Who, who is someone that culture just is not paying attention to in your life? And the Bible, I believe, like if we look at what the disciples did and if we look at what Jesus did, a few things, right? It's, it's like this heart attitude of let's be patient with those that are skeptical. Let's be, let's be open and honest and kind with questions. Let's embrace them. Let's dialogue them, right? Let's break bread with strangers. That's what the disciples did. Let's search scripture. Let's get into scripture. And when we get into it, we will actually be more confident about it. When we know it, we'll have, a, we'll have more confidence in our Jesus. Take care of the sick, welcoming everybody. You know what's interesting too, I think sometimes what we've forgotten is welcoming, welcoming people doesn't mean agreeing with people, actually, right? Welcoming people doesn't mean we have to agree, right? But there should be something so attractive about a person that is running after Christ. There should be something so attractive about a a, a faith that is willing to give your time and your life and your fun, live with your hands open. A generous person, right, that loves Jesus. More than anything, the way we live will proclaim his name to a secular world. The way we live, the way we give, the way we spend our time, the way we talk, that is what proclaims the name of Jesus to a secular world. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. God, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that we could celebrate Easter. But now that it's over, the actual day, God, may Easter be a major part of our lives all throughout the year. May Easter be a part of our life because Easter is all about death becoming life. It's not about good. It's not about bad. It's not about bad people ever being good enough, but it's about death and it's about life. So God, may we be people who break bread with scriptures and search, break bread with strangers and we search scripture and we take care of the sick and we pray for the sick and we are patient with people and we welcome people. God, may we just apply some of these things that Jesus did, some of these things that the disciples did. And more than anything, that will proclaim to our world what Jesus, what our Jesus is all about. And may we do it with grace and may we do it with kindness. In your holy name, we pray. In Jesus' name, can we all say amen this morning? Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.